Hi there, healers. My name is Dave of Dave of the Flames. I'm a Reiki teacher, life coach, and a claircognizant. I blend these energies so that I can help you be the healer that you are meant to be. You work hard at taking care of others. Heal the Healers is a podcast that will help you find ways to take care of yourself. Do you often find yourself tired, low on energy, and overcommitted because you can't say no? I want to give you the tools to make you stronger so that you can work smarter and help more people around the world. No matter what healing modality you do, this podcast is for you. Welcome everybody to episode six of Heal the Healers podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am today about today's episode because I am joined by author uh, Troy L. Love, who has written a book called A Year of Self-Love, uh, Daily Wis- Wisdom and Inspirations for Loving Yourself. And as many of you know, this has been a, a big theme of mine over the last several months when I'm doing podcasts and in my coaching and my posts and everything. So for me to have you here, Troy, is such an honor because you go into so many different things in your book uh, and the books that you've written in the past as well. So thank you so much, Troy. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really great. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. What, um, you know, you, you have gone through a, a lot just from what I read about you online. Um, you, you, you've gone through some things that have, I think you're a lot like me in a lot of regards where when I started out, there was a lot of naysayers. There was a lot of toxicity. There was a lot of, uh, just different problems that I had for me overeating was my addiction, mm. you, you know, and low self-esteem, uh, being bullied to the, the part where I just wanted to quit school because I was being bullied so much. Mm. And then years and years of just not believing in myself and then turning all that around and then being able to help other people. Um, it sounds like you and I are on the same kind of life purpose path there. Um, what was it for you that made you want to write this book? Well, I remember when I was going to school, getting my bachelor's in social work, my professor was standing in front of the classroom and she was saying, hey, if you want to be a better social worker, you really need to do your own work. And I was 20 something years old and I thought, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I don't, I don't have any work to do. Uh, you know, I'm fine. I'm like, life is great. I was in such denial. And then almost a year later, I'm sitting in a a group room as an intern while I'm getting my master's in Pittsburgh. And I'm in this room with probably six or seven individuals who are struggling with chemical addiction, drugs or alcohol. And I was frankly terrified because I had never done drugs. I'd never really drank alcohol. So I was really afraid that I wasn't going to be able to relate to these people, that they were going to feel like I was coming across as judgmental. But I'm there because I'm supposed to be. And as they began to tell their stories about why they stumbled into their addictions, oh, I could relate to what they were talking about. And and turns out that I figured out that I was uh, I was addicted to porn, which I was never going to tell anybody in my right. life. But as they were describing what addiction felt like, I was like, "That is me," and that was really what started me on the trajectory. I think all of us who get into the field of wanting to help other people usually have some kind of wounds ourselves. Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware of those, but that was really what set me on the trajectory to really start to do my own work. And as I began to go along with that, I realized 
there is so much judgment. Me being my own personal critic, my own judgments that I have against myself. The, the challenge with that is that that's based in shame and shame never, <clears throat> never motivates us to change. But self-compassion does. <clears throat> when we're able to be kind to ourselves, when we're able to be gentle with ourselves, that actually creates a healing environment for us to change. And so when I was approached with the opportunity of writing this book, I said, yeah, I'm absolutely willing to do that because I believe that self-compassion, self-love is such a crucial part of helping us be able to show up and do what it is that we do, regardless of our field of, of career. We need to be able to have more of that in our own lives so that we can also offer more compassion to others as well. Yeah, and, uh, wow, yeah. <laughs> just, just the words that you said kind of leave me a little bit speechless because that, that's a lot of my own journey myself. So what you're saying is very personal. Um, having having been there and just felt so worthless in my life and, and thinking that everything everybody said about me was true and, and walking in front of a mirror and because I was overweight, just looking at myself and just thinking how disgusting I was. It, it was, it's so horrible. And, and then, so, and then people in your life who are like, no, you're wonderful. You're wonderful. And you, you don't believe them. Right, and you you shut out those voices because the voices in your head are so much so loud, yeah. You know, and and, and having that self compassion. What what's funny is I have compassion for every living thing on the planet, you, you know, in so many ways. But when it comes to myself, you know, ten twenty years ago, zero, absolute zero compassion for me. Absolutely. How um, and and just the way that you're you're reacting, it sounds like you, you're alone that same journey. How will we help our listeners today who feel that we, like we did, like when we had zero compassion for ourselves, but we're healers, we're empathetic, we want to we wanna live our life to help others, but yet we, we don't make ourselves strong to do that. What? So uh, around that same time, a little earlier than that, I, I, was, I was in a training and somebody said something to the effect of, if you, if you want to... Um, no, they said something about, you can't love other people until you love yourself. And I remember going to the bathroom and looking myself in the mirror and absolutely being angry about what that person said. Because I felt like I was a really compassionate and loving person. I thought I was kind and, and generous, and yet I hated myself. And so I'm arguing with myself in the mirror saying, how can that be true? That, that cannot be true. I am a loving person and yet I hate myself. And as I was sitting there, this, this message kind of came to me that said, yeah, Troy, you, you can be really loving and kind. The challenge is that when people try to love you back because you don't love yourself, you can't let that in. And over time, people are going to stop trying to love you back because it's bouncing off and they, they feel it. And so it's a reciprocal connection thing that's going on here that is vitally important. And uh, the more that I learned and grew and became a, a social worker and do the work I do, I realized just how vital connection is. And part of that is being able to love yourself enough to let people love you. So if you're a healer, 
and you are really having a lot of self-hatred, self-shame, the, the challenge isn't that as much as it makes it almost impossible for people to love on you. And even when they do, you, you deflect it, you push it away and say, nah, I can't have that. And that's the challenge because in order to do the kind of work we do as healers, we need to have those kind of connections. And it oftentimes starts with me and learning how can I even love myself a little bit more today than I did yesterday so that when somebody else loves on me, I can receive it and we can have this, this interactive connection that, that we weren't able to have before because I kept pushing it away. Yeah, it, and it, it's crazy to, for people to actually feel that because you think you know uh, uh, people are educated people understand like you you know like i'm learning how to help others um but turning that in inward is such a a weakness that that we have in a lot of ways especially people who are, have a lot of empathy mm -hmm. um, the people that i work with a lot have a lot of empathy and because they have so much empathy they're constantly like as they were growing up or they're being told that you know you're too emotional um, you, you get too involved, you, you know, you, you know, all these things of, you know, why can't I just have a normal conversation with you? Why do you have to turn it around? And, and then a lot of times an empath who feels this way will, will play a victim, mm -hmm. um, you know, and getting rid of that victim mentality um, is, is hard. As I've been coaching over the years, I've been teaching people it's, so you have to look at three different things when I coach you is that I want you to tell me what, how you feel about yourself on a physical level um, and emotional level and a spiritual level. And I, I dive in and divide it into those three categories. And we work on all three. And I'm finding that, you know, someone who, like a, I work with some in the fit, health and fitness industry, so I have personal trainers, and they're literally like a 10 in the physical. Like I look in the mirror and, and I'm, I'm gold, I'm perfect, everything that I do. But they have such insecurities and such self-loathing. So they might rank themselves a 10 with physical, but then they rank themselves a two with emotional. Mm -hmm. And when I break it down like that with someone, and then we talk about spiritual, and sometimes spiritual is just a zero, mm -hmm. you know, or, or whatever. So, so then I start working on their spiritual and emotional sides as well, because they, they've nailed the physical part. Um, it, it's crazy of the things that, the difference in the lives that, that they feel. But also on the opposite end, when someone has a high spirituality, but they load themselves physically, and they load themselves emotionally, um, trying to, to break that down and help them. When you're helping your uh, people that you work with, what what has been something or, or a tool that, that you could share with us that will help people who are listening today who are just home and they look in the mirror and they're like, okay, I can do this. So the first book I wrote was called Finding Peace. Mm -hmm. And it's a workbook actually that explores how shame ruins our sense of peace. And that, to me, is really, really a helpful uh, book. I, I, and I'm not trying to sell the book, but I'm just no. saying that it's... Plug, <laughs> your, plug yourself, man. Let's do it. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it there's a, in the book, there's a model that I use. And, and one of the foundational pieces of that is what I call attachment wounds. And there are six of them. Loss, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, neglect, and abuse. And oftentimes, like you mentioned, being bullied, that's a huge rejection wound that you, you have. Oftentimes, these wounds happen when we're kids, when we don't have the cognitive ability to realize that it's really not about us, that 
the reason why the bullies are doing stuff is probably because of stuff that's going on in their own homes or the reason why mom or dad are behaving the way they do is because they got their own stuff going on. As kids, we don't really have the ability to really sort that out. And so the only conclusion that we can come up with is, well, it must be me. It's, it must be my fault. And then what happens with that is shame shows up. And Brene Brown defines shame as the deep and abiding belief or, or experience that I'm flawed and defective and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And so shame wraps around us and just continues to amplify those messages. And in the book, I identify what I call the six shadows of shame. And the one that most people can resonate with, because it's usually the loudest, is that judge voice, the, the inner critic that's just beating you up. And so one of the tools that I have people do as they're trying to understand that is I like, I say, get a piece of paper and I want you to just write down in second person, what kind of messages the judge is saying to you. So if you're staggering with body shame, you're writing down as if you're writing dictation, what that voice is saying to you. You're too fat. You're too skinny. You're not trying hard enough. I can't believe you didn't exercise today. Why are you putting that in your mouth? All that kind of stuff. And it's written in you, not I, but you. And there's a reason for that because once you've written that down, you can look at it and you're like, whoa, you are brutal. Like, and and it's, it's a, a unique ability then to be able to separate yourself from that that voice from that shadow of shame and be able to say whoa that that's really mean like i would never say that to any of the people that i love then after you do that on the you flip the page open uh, over and if you have a higher power you can use it that way if you don't it's fine but you write down what's what's the truth what's the rebuttal what's the loving message and again, you write that in second person. What's the rebuttal? So what does your higher power say? Or, or what does your um, place from compassion in the universe or whatever that is? And you write it down. And looking at the contrast between those two messages, every time I do it, I, f I find this, this healing experience of just compassion of, wow, like I am enough. Yeah, maybe I need to lose a little bit more weight, but I I, I'm enough the way that I am right now. I am working on being healthy. I'm loved. I'm worthy of love. And in that moment, man, everything just calms down. And the, the judge voice like is quiet, which for a lot of us is really needed. So it's quiet. So that tool is really simple. It usually takes about 10 minutes. Just left-hand column, all the stuff that the, the judge says, right-hand column, all the stuff that the light says, and just noticing any shifts that happen with you when you do that. That, that is, that, that's amazing. I, I love when you say write it in the second person um, because it, it, it's crazy because if writing down the stuff in that left-hand column, if we were to write that down in second person and identify that, if we, we, the kind of compassionate people that we generally are, the, the type of healers people are, if they saw someone treating another person like that, they would jump in and stop that behavior. Right. So the, and so the way that you, that is an amazing tool. Thank you for sharing that with us. And if you're listening today, I challenge you that when you're done listening to this podcast, do this exercise that Troy just spoke of, because just the way that he said it, just the way that it resonated um, with me alone, it's like as soon as I know, as soon as I get done recording this, I'm going to go do it because this is just amazing stuff. 
your book finding peace one of the neatest things for me about the book is the cover um, <laughs> i absolutely love the cover of that book so i don't know if you chose that or if you're published or whoever but i tell you that cover is is the, the cave is shaped like a heart and it's looking out into this this beautiful uh, lake and sunset and it's just amazing beautiful so you great job on that cover thank you your other book that interests me, and I, and I apologize for not knowing a lot about it, but The Art of Peace. Um, yeah, so, so The Art of Peace is like, um, if you've ever read The Art of War by Sun Tzu, it yep. has a very similar format. It takes the model that Finding Peace uses um, and, and writes it in Sun Tzu format. So some people find it okay, other people it's not their cup of tea. But one morning I was walking and listening to The Art of War and I'm like, you know, I don't want to be at war. I want to be at peace. And so I re I kind of rewrote my own version of the art of peace. And it's the art of, I mean, the art of war. It's the art of peace. And it's just a, a very uh, condensed version of, of the theory that you read about in the workbook, Finding Peace. I, I, I think it's fantastic because a lot of times uh, I have read The Art of War and I've used The Art of War in my workplace and my corporate environment for years when I was going um, and, and even in different situations. So the fact that you brought that translation in for peace and for prosperity and for helping someone and that it doesn't mean that you, know, you can become better with peaceful intentions rather than just feel like you have to be aggressive all the time. Mm -hmm. you, you know, so, so I, I love that. I, I have it on my list of things to, to download. It's so funny. I've, I've been reading so much lately. Um, and that's how I came across a year of self-love. And the fact that you have incorporated your passion and your life purpose into these books is amazing. I like the, uh, the daily mantras. Um, and one thing I like about them is they're different. They're not just quotes. They're, they're not just prompts. They're not just affirmations. They're, they're, they're different things. Um, and no matter what time of the year that you buy it, you can pick up and take it. You know, today's December 3rd, and is it okay to quote what you wrote in here? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you, you wrote, um, you've surely heard the biblical saying, the truth will set you free. This is just as true when we are honest with ourselves. When we stand in the light of truth, we can more clearly see the deception of the shadows. Truth helps us make rational choices grounded in reality. Truth is empowering. One of the, the I mean, that statement alone, I mean, that saying, just being able to get up and read this, first before I check my email, before I, I check my text <laughs> to see who's trying to ruin my day today. <laughs> you know, so, so being able to say this, I always tell people to speak your truth. I mean, for me, when I'm helping heal people, their throat chakra is their communication tool. Mm -hmm. And it's always something as I'm doing Reiki on someone that the throat chakra can be clogged up and right. I'm trying to do energy healing on it. And part of the, that is, is one is, you know, you're not speaking your own truth, but two, you're just being so hard on yourself, which goes to what, what we're talking about. Right. Living in the light uh, of truth is, is an amazing message. And looking through all of the, the different days of December, it, it's just the quotes, the stories, all of the things uh, is, this stuff is beautiful. It's a short, easy daily thing that you can do. It brings in different things. Thank um, you. And you just, you did a great job of compiling all of this and, and putting it in there. Thank you. What's been your, um, your biggest setback with trying to get people to experience self-love? 
uh, well, shame, <laughs> shame hijacks that. Uh, uh, Brene, when she, in her TED talk, she says, you know, there are two, uh, here's the truth about shame. Everybody has shame. The less you talk about it, the more that you have it. The only people on the planet who don't have shame are also do not have the capacity for empathy. We call them sociopaths. So you either can admit that you have shame or you can admit you're a sociopath, one of the two. Um, but shame is totally what unravels it. And we all have it. It, it is a, it's been a defense mechanism to try and deal with the pain that we have. When I was working at the hospital, uh, one of the things that I loved to do as I was interacting with the patients and, and back in the day when it wasn't an electronic medical record, we would flip through the files. And sometimes I would see patients who have wounds. And I was fascinated by that. I know it's kind of gross, but I, <laughs> uh, I, I loved looking at it. And what I really loved is the wound care nurses would come in and they'd measure the wounds and they'd figure out how deep it is, what kind of wound it is, so that they could then know what kind of treatment they needed to do to help those wounds heal. And when we look at those attachment wounds, some of those are really old and really raw. And when we're helping, we're in the helping profession, we're gonna bump up against wounded people because all of us are wounded and they're gonna bump up against our wounds. And so being able to know that it's, it's a, appropriate to do wound care on ourselves is really, really critical to help us be able to show up more. And shame will tell you that you're not worthy of wound care. Shame will tell you you're just bad and awful and I don't even know why you're trying. But if I can silence that voice using some of the tools that we just talked about, silence that for a minute and remember, hey, I am worthy of love and belonging. I can do some wound care. Whew that really empowers me to be able to show up the next day and let the light and the gifts and the talents that I have be able to use to bless other people's lives. That's the, that's really important. So part of the answer to your question is, is watching out for shame and then tending to the wound. How can we help ourselves? So we look at, for example, rejection, the opposite of rejection is acceptance. So where can I go get some acceptance today? Can I start with myself? Can I look in the mirror and tell myself I'm worthy of love? I love you. I accept you just the way that you are. Could I call a friend or a family member or turn to my significant other and say, you know, I'm really struggling a little bit today. My rejection wound's pretty raw. Could you just remind me the good that you see in me? Those are some really simple things that you could do to shut down that shame and remind yourself, hey, I'm worthy of love and belonging. It's a form of wound care. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, I, I love your, your approach to that. And Brene Brown, especially those two TED Talks that she originally did, um, they changed my life in a lot of ways. I think one thing that she says in there, and I'm, uh, I don't know word for word, but she was, if you take shame and put it in a Petri dish, then you can um, kill it by dosing it with empathy. And that's one of the biggest things is, is that empathy for yourself, that empathy that you have for others. I mean, I think there are many listeners listening to this today that they know that they would, they have a family member or a friend that they would give their life for in a lot of ways because they, they are that empathetic and they love them that much, but they won't use that same love and level of love on themselves. And they constantly berate themselves and hurt themselves. One thing that, uh, 
uh, what you wrote is, or what you talked about was the attachment of betrayal. I, I, I work with a lot of people, I'm currently working with, with someone who has just been betrayed in a, in a loving relationship, thought everything was going great, and then all of a sudden, you know, she just comes to him and says, hey, I, I'm done. Out of the blue, caught him off guard. And it's been several, it's been almost nine months now, and he has lost all sense of love for others and love mm-hmm. for himself. And he can't, like, he's just turned off emotions. And, and what would, like, like, what would you say in your, all of your research and all that you've done with helping others, when it comes to betrayal, how, how can you be ashamed if someone betrayed you? Well, for example, the, the judge probably shows up and says things like, well, it's your fault. You didn't do this and this and this and what's wrong with you and you weren't enough here and you weren't enough there. And so then we listen to that. And, and if we don't have the skills to be able to challenge that, we're just like, well, yep, that's true. Yep, that's true. Another one of the shadows is the impotent one. And the impotent one's kind of this whiny voice that just says, no one's, you're never going to be able to trust anybody again. No one is ever going to show up for you ever again. Uh, that you can't trust anybody anymore. It's just this like the fetist thing. So when I'm working with somebody and they're struggling with that, I'm like, well, number one, let's pick out which which shadows are talking to you. And we can do some similar exercises of, as the right and left-hand column. What are they saying? And then what is true? And how much do you believe that that shadow is accurate? How How much do you believe that it's telling the truth? And if even if they say, well, like I was talking to somebody today and, and the belief is, well, my wife just hates me. He says, cognitively, I know that that's not true, but down here, I really believe that my wife hates me. And so we, we just try to open the door a little bit, put our foot in the door and say, well, what if she didn't? What if that, that voice wasn't entirely true? And we want to create doubt in the, for the shame, create doubt for the shame so that we have room then to be able to be accepting of the truth that yes i am enough that i still matter that i'm worthy that i'm i i'm desired that i can trust somebody else and so it's a process of helping them work through that but really identifying well who which shadows are talking to you and how can we douse that with empathy compassion and love instead of just pouring on some more gasoline and just shame and self-deprecation and all of those things what can we do to to stop that and and douse it with some love and compassion oh i i love that um i, I like how you said the the impotent shadow um I've, I've never heard to refer to that before and i think that is such an apt and incredible name for that because even in my own self-doubt uh with, with with different things but i know with with coaching people and helping people to to become stronger um they that, that is one thing where that, that impotency just comes in. And, and it's not a physical empathy, it's, a, it's an emotional mm-hmm. impotency to where you feel like you can't do, you, you're not enough, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's just crazy. When someone, uh, I work with a lot of different modalities with healing, whether, whether it's massage therapist, or a Reiki healer, or, you know, a medium, um, you know, all these different things, chiropractic medicine, they, they all have the same thing where the healer is loving their craft, they love what they're doing, but they're never truly successful to the level of where they want to be because they keep self-sabotaging. 
and and self-sabotaging is someone something that is is it's a constant thing because it's that shadow talking to themselves and i, I do a lot of different types of shadow healing with people and being able to say you know you need to you need to stop self-sabotaging do you have any advice for that as well Again, uh, um, my clients probably get really sick of me asking that question, but when they start <laughs> to say, when they start to say something negative, I'm like, okay, which shadow is that? Which shadow is that? And the reason why I'm doing that is I'm really wanting them to separate themselves from the shadow. And oftentimes before I introduce the shadows of shame, they just think that these are my thoughts. Like I am bad. It's just part of me. But when we start to identify, well, no, not really. Uh, that's a shadow talking to you. And you're able to separate yourself from it. I mean, I'll even have them imagine that there's their shadow sitting across the room talking to them from the couch or whatever. And, 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 and having them do that so that when they start to have that negative self-talk, I'm like, okay, which shadow is that? Oh, that's the judge. Well, I'm wondering why the judge is here right now. What wound is being stirred up for you? What, where's the pain actually going on that is causing the judge to show up? Because here's, here's the thing with the judge. The judge demands perfection because the judge believes that if you're perfect, nothing bad will ever happen to you. And that's a false, that's a false thinking pattern that the judge has. But when I'm like, okay, but why is the judge here? Well, you know, actually, I, I recognize that I, my rejection wound just got stirred up or my abandonment wound is really raw today and I'm hurting. Yeah. And so your judge is saying, well, you're not, you're not, you're not here yet. You need to be here. And then all of a sudden the world will be rosy. Well, yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense. Great. So now what do you need in this place of pain? What do you need? We're able to push the, the shadow back a little bit and then actually tend to the wound itself and help the person actually get what they need so that they can continue to thrive and do what it is that they do to bless other people's lives. That's amazing. When, when someone does the work and they start to change, uh, especially with their own perspective, when they start to walk by the mirror and that voice is silent, and they stand there and they're, they're just looking at themselves and, and you know, whether it be shaving in the morning or, or drying off after a shower, you're looking in the mirror and all of a sudden you realize that it's kind of peaceful. Yeah. You, you know, and, and then that leads to a whole new level of experiences and wonder. Um, have you had anybody tell you, like come to you and say, well, this is how I am now and these are the differences? I've had many, many clients come and tell me that uh and it's always a journey like we we always take a look at when the shadows show up because they they don't ever go away but right. we learn how to be resilient to them but you know i have i've had a clients who have seriously like one of my one of my friends he's he's run over a hundred ultra marathons wow i'm like dude you're, you're like a badass here. Um, he, he's a, he, he does jujitsu. He's, he's just this big old warrior kind of guy. And yet, man, he struggles with feeling like he's enough. And I look at it and I'm like, look at all this stuff you've done that shows that you, you have what it takes. And yet he's still asking that question. Well, do I have what it takes? And so as, as I taught him the process and introduced him to the judge and the others he, he was able to start challenging that 
And now he's able to say, you know, I have what it takes. Sometimes I still catch myself hearing the, the judge talking to me, but I catch it now. And I'm able to remind myself, I have what it takes. And he will pick up the phone and he'll call somebody or he'll figure out a healthy way to get his needs met. And it's beautiful to watch that transformation happen because he's not sitting in that shame and self-doubt now. He knows how to advocate for himself. He knows how to go get his needs met in healthy ways. And it's, it's been an amazing transformation to watch him. Uh, that, that's amazing. I, I think for me, um, self-love, when it first started, when it, when it came in and, and all this, I started acting differently. And it was like I started... Um, setting boundaries yeah. and, and I, I had never really set boundaries in the past. You know, I was, I sucked at it. Um, but when the self-love started, when the self-confidence and the self-esteem, when all of those three brewed to the top and then all of a sudden they, they, they morphed into self-respect. And once you have self-respect, it feels like it, it feels like this umbilical cord uh, into the universe that you're like connected with your higher being or your higher power. Hmm. And you're just like, Holy crap. I respect myself. And then all of a sudden saying no is okay. Right. You know, and, and having these boundaries. Um, and that was like a, a side effect or a byproduct that I wasn't ready for. And I think the people in my life weren't ready for it as well. Right. <laughs> because it's like, well, what do you mean no? You never say no. <laughs> you, you know, and, and it's just things like this. It's like, well, what do you mean I can only call you during this time? Or what do you mean that we can only talk about this? You know, why are you setting boundaries? Um, and it's like, yeah, I'm setting boundaries because that's important for me and it's important for my own um, well-being and I'm taking care of myself first. And a lot of empaths, a lot of people who have lived this life of shame and doubt, um, they, one thing that we've always said from my point of view at least, and people, some people I work with is that when they see people being selfish, they never wanna be that way. But when you are recovering from shame and recovering from this, you have to be a little bit selfish to take care of yourself, to put yourself on your own calendar, to be able to say, hey, I'm going for a massage, or I'm going to take an hour and read a book, or I'm going to go out to dinner with a friend and not feel guilty about it. Right. Do, do you find that as well, that, that people will start to take care of themselves and start feeling guilty about that? So the analogy that I share with people is like, okay, if you've ever, um, if you're familiar with a crack house is like, mm -hmm. you know, nobody cares uh it's trashed windows are broken people coming and going nobody cares there's it it it's not taken care of versus another house your house for example um is the lawn taken care of do you do you make sure that the windows are all taken care of some people will put an alarm system on it. Well, why do they do that? Because they found that that building has value. And so they're going to take care of it. It's, it's not, not, I'm going to take care of it and then it will have value. It's I value it and therefore I'm going to take care of it versus the crack house. I don't value it. So I'm not going to take care of it. And it's the same with us. When I connect with my value, I am automatically going to have boundaries. It's not something that I'm practicing. It's not something that I'm setting. When I really start to connect to that I'm worthy of love and, 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 and connection, I'm gonna have boundaries. It is an automatic part of what happens. And, and that's what you notice. When I started to experience my love and belonging, I started saying no. 
And people were a little shocked by that. But why? Because you started to connect with your value just like you would do with your house. And the more valuable you see something being, the more that you're going to put security in place, put things in place to make sure that it's well taken care of. And that's what we do with ourselves as well. I connect with my value, my boundaries automatically follow. Wow, I, I love that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your Founding Peace uh, Academy? Sure, so uh, I have several things that take place there. One of the things that is coming up in January is I have a Finding Peace for, uh, for Relationships. It's a, oh, wow. it's a nine week class for couples or individuals if they, if their couple doesn't, their partner doesn't want to come. Um, but it's based on the research of Sue Johnson, John Gottman, some of the re relationship experts. Uh, it's based on their work mingled with my model of finding peace and putting those together. And so it's, it is a nine week, there's a series of videos that you get every week. And then we have live, uh, a live two hour meeting on Zoom uh, once a week as well to, to go over with you and your couple, your partner, what, what went well, where did you struggle? And we, we do some live coaching during that. And then in April, I have a Finding Peace retreat in Prescott, Arizona, where we, oh, we wow. enact the, the Finding Peace model experientially. Um, it's not one of those you're sitting in a in a hotel conference room and lecture. It's all like very experiential. Um, we've done it several times and the feedback is always phenomenal. People, even just two days ago, I was talking to somebody who said that really changed my life. It really connected with me. So those are two of the things that are coming up. Uh, you can uh, you can learn more about that by going to troyallove.com or findingpeaceacademy.com. I, I love that. The, the retreat, especially, I used to live in Flagstaff, Arizona, back in the 90s. Oh, and, yeah. And, and just all that area. And then I lived in Phoenix for about 12 years. But Prescott is an amazing area. And that entire area is such a spiritual place, you know, especially mm -hmm. you know, Sedona, all the, the Red Rocks, all. But being able to heal in that kind of environment, that sounds amazing. Uh, and it's a four-day intensive retreat um, that is, is just, it, it definitely, if you're listening, and you're looking for something, uh, please please check Troy's website out at FindingPeaceAcademy.com because this is definitely something that a lot of us, we, we, we need help. You know, we, we don't think that as a healer that we need to help ourselves. Um, and that's not true. A lot of people don't want, don't feel that they can invest money in themselves. You know, I, I'm frequently saying take 10% of income, invest it back in yourself. You know, you know, and you need to do that. You need to buy books. You need to buy classes. Self-knowledge is key. Learn and get mentors, all these things. There's plenty of free resources. But if you can spend money on a nine-week course or a four-day intensive retreat, I highly say that you trust your gut and you trust your instinct. And if something is telling you to do it, follow that. Because you, if you're listening to this podcast, you're listening to it for a reason. And Troy is here today to share his 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 care and his understanding and his knowledge. So believe in yourself enough that you are worthy of this kind of, of self-care. Thank you. Yeah. It's life-changing stuff. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I've watched it. I, I, I wrote Finding Peace for myself, to be honest, um, as part of helping me understand how healing happens and what it does. I wrote it for me. And then people started to ask, well, 
tell me more about that. And that's where, that's how that book came about. But I've, I've watched it change people's lives every day. And so it's just beautiful work. And it, I don't claim ownership of it. It really, I come, I feel like it came from the universe. Um, but it's part of, part of what we can do to take care of ourselves and be kinder to ourselves and, and each other. Yeah, I, I love that. I, th I think one thing that, that um, you, you experienced, you talked about too, is how people can numb themselves. Mm. You, you know, uh, um, I, I think you mentioned it once of, of having um, grit or tenacity or, or being able to, to just push through things. Um, but people tend to numb themselves from trauma. They numb themselves from toxic relationships. You know, sometimes you're in a toxic relationship you can't get out of. It could be your parents, it could be your children, it could be a brother who, who lives close, or it could be your spouse. And you can't get away for some reason. You just feel that you're not worthy enough to not be in this toxic relationships. You can't create a boundary. So they numb their pain through compulsive and addictive behaviors. Um, can you, can you give like a couple of, of key facts of people to recognize, like if you're numbing, you're probably doing this. Well, there's thousands of ways of numbing. Mm -hmm. Food is a really great one that a lot of us use for <laughs> numbing. Chocolate, Sugar. Chocolate, chocolate milkshakes take all the bad away for five minutes. Right? Uh -huh. <laughs> Sex, work, uh, sleep. Like, there's thousands of ways we numb. Uh, and oftentimes, we're engaging in these behaviors because they feel good. I've, you know, I, they do feel good. We wouldn't probably do them if, if they didn't have bring some pleasure. But what happens afterwards is then the shadows of shame show up and knock you upside the head and say, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> and so that's the challenge uh, with the numbing because it's not actually healthy and it doesn't actually do wound care. It just numbs, but it doesn't, it doesn't heal anything. So it's, it's the effect of, okay, you've just had surgery, we're, we're pumping you up with morphine, it covers up the wound, but it's not actually doing any healing, right? So uh, one of the reasons why I talk about that is I, I try to do it in a way that's not shaming. Like, of course, we're numbing, because there's pain. So let's, let's take a look at the pain and maybe do some wound care around that. And then the, the need to numb is going to be less because the pain's not so big, the wound isn't so big. But you know, there's, there's thousands of ways of numbing. So one of the ways that you can kind of ask yourself is, am I engaging in a behavior that I know is unhealthy for me, but I can't seem to stop it? I know that it's going to cause me problems, but I can't seem to stop it. That's an example of what an, uh, an addiction is really, but that's an example of numbing is, well, okay, so what is that all about? Let's become curious. Instead of letting the judge show up and say, well, you shouldn't be doing that. I can't believe they're doing that anymore. Just setting that and being uh, practicing some mindfulness and curiosity and saying, okay, well, I wonder what this is doing for me. What ways am I using this in order to try and self-soothe? Can I, can I tell the truth that I am hurting and that is painful? And I'm wondering if there's any other healthier ways that I could take care of this wound besides this thing that always seems to bring shame afterwards. Oh, I, I love that. The, uh, I, I think another thing too is if you're, if you're listening to this, think about immediate gratification. Um, if you are doing a lot of things in your life just for immediate gratification, sometimes that, that can result in, in some numbing that, that you're trying to do. So, um, you know, so shopping is a big thing. I, I worked with someone who she, shop, she shopped like you wouldn't imagine. And there would be bags in her house that were unopened. Uh, but there was, she called it retail therapy. 
So we set up a, a system to where she has to, if she wants something, she, she can't uh, buy it for three days. She has to mm. want it three days later. And that was, well, I thought she was going to kill me. Um, <laughs> but, but, it, but it worked. And it's that kind of thing, that delay of immediate gratification helped her to get stronger in a lot of ways in her life. So, so if you're, if you're experiencing the, the numbing that, that Troy and I are talking about, doing a little bit of a self, a self evaluation there, uh, will, will help you and just kind of help you figure things out. Know that there are resources, uh, for this kind of stuff. If you wish to reach out to Troy, uh, in the show notes of this podcast, I'll have all of his contact information for you. Uh, I also have my contact information. Please, if, if anybody has any questions, know that I will always answer every, every message that is sent to me because I'm so small that I have time. <laughs> uh, so I will definitely answer everything that, that you send. Um, but I, I just want to be here to help. I mean, especially 2020 has been, has been a rough year for a lot of people. Hmm. We're here for each other. And if we realize that we're here for each other and we can help each other and we can help each other become stronger, then as a whole, uh, we can definitely silence those shadows and silence those judges that Troy was talking about. Troy, do you have anything that you'd like to close on or any new projects you want to talk about? Or? No, Dave, this has no? been wonderful. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your show. No, that's awesome. Thank you. And uh, everybody, uh, again, my name is Dave uh, with Heal the Healer podcast. You can listen, uh, subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Take care.